There in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35. Let us now give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. They which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they gave praise unto God. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do come this morning and plead for thy mercy upon us as we hear your word preached. Lord, we confess that we are often dull of hearing and that we are often prone to wander in our minds and in our hearts. And we plead, O Lord, that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to us and speak through me, your weak vessel, that I might proclaim the glorious praises of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to our passage this morning, we've covered a lot of ground over the last year or so that we have been in the Gospel of Luke. Now Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem one week before Passover, one week before Christ is going to suffer and die and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we come to this passage of Scripture, we see that Jesus has just instructed his disciples previously that the Son of Man, there in verse 31, shall accomplish all things, that he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, that he shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted, spitted on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. The third time Jesus states it like this, particularly in Luke's gospel, he gives all of the particulars of what is happening to these disciples as they're approaching that final week. And of course, the disciples don't understand it. They're completely clueless as to what Jesus is saying. 
for two reasons, as I said last week, because their minds just could not understand fully what was to happen. And secondly of all, Jesus wanted everything to be fully accomplished before they fully understood what it is that Jesus came to do. Isn't it interesting that the first recorded miracle in the Gospels is the turning of water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana? And this is the last recorded miracle in the Gospels, particularly in Luke's Gospel. He's coming to the end. The time for the miracles and the signs and the wonders in the midst of Jesus' ministry is now coming to an end. And as Jesus as Luke states here, that the disciples understood none of these things, then we immediately are drawn to this blind man. Just like this blind man, these disciples are blind. And the question this morning is, are we blind to the things of God? Because as we will see here in our passage, it's not that the man was physically blind, that he couldn't see, but there was far more of a, of a condition to this man than just the fact that he couldn't see. But there's a spiritual condition that comes to this man. And so as we come to our passage, we find that Jesus comes to the city of Jericho. The passage states that, and it came to pass after whatever time transpired, that he was come nigh to Jericho, to a city, to a populous city in that day of what most would say a hundred thousand people. And some would say that this is an area in Jericho that was abounding with blind people. Interesting that there's much controversy over the three parallel accounts in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 through 34. In Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And here in our text, there's all kinds of a confusion over how many blind men there are. Some, like um, Gill and others, would say that there were four blind men. I believe, and I think this is the point of many commentators, that there's only three blind men recorded, at least in these parallel accounts. There's two blind men, ironically, in Matthew chapter 20. When you look at that parallel account, it clearly says that Jesus came and there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? That we may see. And so the, the pronoun that is used there is us. It's not me. And so there's two blind men in Matthew's account. We're, we don't know any other details than that. But in Matthew, there are two blind men. In Mark, there is one who is identified as Bartimaeus. And then in Luke, there is this unnamed blind man simply sitting by the side of the road. And so the question is, why is there such difference 
in the three parallel accounts. It is my position that there are two blind men in Matthew, and most likely in Mark and Luke, it is Bartimaeus. It is the one of whom we see here in the passage of Scripture. But even J.C. Ryle says that men are confused and there's all kinds of questions over what is happening. It's important to remember, because I think as particularly as we approach the Gospels, where we have a tendency to just kind of read it over and just kind of skim the surface. We kind of see it on the surface. We don't really look at the details. But I think the details are important because oftentimes the details which we ignore give us a little better picture of what is taking place. Pastor Alan Cairns, who went to be with the Lord a couple years ago, free Presbyterian church minister, beautifully in this passage of scripture, states that there were many blind men. It's his contention that there are four different blind men. But as he states that, he says, as you look at the text of Scripture, there were blind men in the city, many of them sitting by the roadside because they are outcasts. They are men who um, were not well received within Jewish culture. They were considered unclean. They were considered outcasts. And interesting that Jesus comes to the city of Jericho which is a cursed city. Remember in the Old Testament, particularly in Joshua, that Jericho, the ancient city of Jericho, was a city that was first conquered and destroyed by Israel. And you remember there in the account in Joshua that the walls of that city fell flat. It's amazing how the walls of that city fell flat. And later Joshua burned the city. And there's even some small remnants of of sulfur and charcoal in the ruins of that city today. God commanded Israel not to take anything from Jericho because it was under judgment. If you go back to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26, and I think this is an important point to, to understand our passage this morning. But there in Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. And Joshua abjured, adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city of Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the city. And so Jericho is the example of what we see in Bunyan's city of destruction. Its destruction is because of God's judgment. Jericho was one of the oldest cities that was built centuries ago. And now it was under the judgment of God. Later we see 
Joshua and Judges that Achan came and tried to rebuild the city. That even Ahaz, under the rule of Ahaz in 1 Kings 16, the foundations of Jericho were laid. It had been destroyed. And Hillel, the Bethelite, who was an apostate, this is an interesting point, rebuilt the city. And you see that in 1 Samuel 15. An apostate rebuilt a city that was under the judgment of God. And in 1 Samuel 15, the Lord says, I will remember your sin. Remember that. We think oftentimes, well, nobody knows this little pet God that I have, or this little pet sin over here. But God knows. And so God remembered their sin. And it's in that ancient city that God destroyed that was rebuilt by that apostate in later days. That that city was rebuilt. And so even though it is called the city of the palms, even though it is a populous place in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, it is still considered a cursed city. And Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry, as he is now preparing to go to Jerusalem, it's just about 10, 12 miles beyond Jericho to the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is not going as a pilgrim. Jesus is going to fulfill all things. All things written in the prophets of the Son of Man shall be accomplished. And so Jesus goes into that city to fulfill that Passover feast. He goes to fulfill that ceremonial law that was abrogated under Christ. And so he becomes that sacrifice. He becomes that Passover lamb. And so here as we see the sad state of this blind man, a certain blind man, um, perhaps Bartimaeus, he's sitting there by the wayside begging. He had friends that had to assist him every day to get up, get dressed, and go and sit as a beggar. Perhaps you've been to countries where you see people begging along the side of the road. That is the most um, frightening thing to see when somebody is literally begging for food or for their daily needs. But he's sitting there by the side of the road begging. And he probably did this every day, hour upon hour, just sat there and begged thinking maybe someone will have pity upon me. But here as we learn the sad state of this blind man, we see here that he heard the multitude passing by. Now remember, he can't see anything. He's blind. We don't know if he is born blind like the man in John 6 that God may be glorified or we don't know if he had some kind of infirmity later in life that made him blind. But he is blind. He cannot see anything. But oh, as you know from people who are blind, all of their other senses are perhaps more in tune than ours. He could hear well. And so as he's sitting there by the road begging, Hearing the multitude pass by, he asked, 
what it meant. What is the sound of the people? It's amazing that he can hear the sound of the multitude. It's almost like a rush of people passing by. What, is, what does this mean? And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. Here in that little verse, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ passes by. And as he passes by, it says in the text, he cried out saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And immediately the people rebuked him. They didn't want to hear the sound. It was not just this little sound, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. He cried in a loud voice, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The people didn't like to hear the sound of it. Told him, hold your peace. Notice what he did. He cried out all the more, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Here's a sad state of this blind man. But you know what is intriguing here? Is that he didn't know what was going on, but when they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. Notice he doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy upon me. He says, Jesus, or he says, thou son of David, have mercy on me. This is a wonderful thing that we find here by this blind man. We don't know who he is. Most likely he's a Gentile because Luke's gospel is primarily addressed to Gentiles, but he could have been a Jew. We don't really know. But he's sitting there begging. And Jesus of Nazareth passes by and he cries, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Here is the first and only time in Luke's account of the gospel that Jesus is addressed as the son of God, or son of David. He's been called the son of man. He's been called, particularly by the Jews, rabbi or teacher. But here is the only time in Luke's gospel that Jesus is addressed as the son of David. And he's addressed by a man who can't see. He's addressed by a man who has no clue what is going on. How would he have known to call him thou son of David? Because that term son of David is a title that speaks of the messianic kingdom promised with David. It speaks of the fact that David would rule, how long, as the scripture says? He would rule upon his throne forever. And so even when David's life came to an end, there would be another one who was called the son of David, who would rule, whose kingdom would have no end. And so this title, son of David, depicts the Lord Jesus Christ as more than just a man from Nazareth. But he is the one who has come to set people free. 
think we need to understand this in the context of the prophecies of Isaiah. Because Jesus has already told us that all of these things will be fulfilled because they were written um, by the prophets. But there in Isaiah chapter 42, there the prophet Isaiah says, Behold my servants, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that giveth breath unto the people. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and I will... Hold thy hand and keep thee and give thee for what? A covenant to the people, for a light to the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. How did that man know that Jesus came to open blind eyes? To deliver them from prison. They were imprisoned to their blindness. They were in darkness. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is called the one who will bring judgment to the nations and who will bring sight to the blind. There in Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. And then you go down to verse uh, 18. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book. The eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. To the meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And then down in verse 32, or or verse... um, Excuse me. <clears throat> the end of the passage says there, Thus saith the Lord, verse 22, Who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not, now not be ashamed, neither shall his face wax pale. So here we have in this prophecy of God's judgment upon Jerusalem. Upon Jerusalem, God will increase their joy that he shall bring blind eyes to see. He will bring them out of their darkness. And there are so many more passages in the book of Isaiah that speak of this wonderful work of the Messiah. One final one in Isaiah chapter 32. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness in the... Princes shall rule in judgment. 
And then as you look through the passage of Scripture, it says that, verse 13, Upon the land of my people shall come thorns and briars, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city. Then verse 16, The judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness shall remain in the fruitful field. And then he says in verse 20, Blessed are ye that sow beside the waters, send forth the feet of the ox. There are many more prophecies in Isaiah that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to give sight to the blind, to heal the sick, to bring the prisoners out of prison. And here this blind man addresses Jesus as the son of David, knowing full well that he is more than a man, that he's more than a teacher, that he's more than just Jesus of Nazareth. He is the son of God. He is the one who has come to give sight to the blind, to heal those who are in darkness. We see this sad state of this blind man. More importantly, we see that this blind man is not just physically blind, but he's like all of us. He's blind to the things of God. All men are born blind. Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. He who walks in darkness shall have the light of life. And so Jesus here brings light to this man who's living in darkness. If you could experience what it's like to be blind, perhaps to not be able to see, and all of a sudden your eyes are open and you have your sight restored. But here we see that they try to rebuke him and he cries out even more, Son of David, have mercy upon me. But we see here in verses 40 through 42 that this blind man who remains in darkness, who pleads for mercy, now is at the mercy of this Savior who shows him sympathizing mercy. Here is a story of a man that stopped Christ. We don't have time to look at the parallel accounts, but notice there in verse 40, that Jesus stood. If you look just briefly in Matthew's account in chapter 20, I think this is uh, intriguing when you find even in these parallel accounts. There in chapter 20 of Matthew, Verse 32, Jesus stood still. There's something interesting, particularly in Matthew's account, that Jesus stood still. That the pleading, crying man who was begging for sight now hears and gets the attention of Jesus. And so this man stops Christ. And here we see the heart that stops for sinners. Here we see the heart that stops to soothe and sympathize the sinners who are blind, who are deaf, who are dumb. 
And perhaps the crowd rebuked him because they think the master's on his way to a very important um, event in, in Israel's history. He doesn't have time to be bothered. And yet here, Jesus, who was not deterred from his mission, stands still that he might soothe and sympathize with this one who cried out, for mercy. And so Jesus stood and commanded that the man be brought unto him. There's two things here. Not only does Jesus stop, remember this is his mission. He's going to stop. That's why he went through Jericho. He didn't just randomly go through all of these villages. But here as he comes to this village, he stands still he commands that this blind man be brought unto him. Remember, the man can't come without assistance. Just like those infants that we saw previously in chapter 18 that were brought to Jesus. They brought him. And when he came near. Notice Jesus doesn't immediately heal him. He asks him, what wilt thou have me do? Lord, notice now he addresses him as Lord, as master, as teacher, that I may receive my sight. Here we see the blind man begging for mercy. And here's a wonderful lesson on prayer out of this passage. That the Lord Jesus Christ puts the power of prayer in the hands of of believers. And I think we miss that point so often. There are those times in life when we trust in the power of believing prayer. Just as this chapter started with Jesus saying men ought to always pray and not faint. We see here that this man shows us the power of prayer in the hands of believers. Wonderful passage there in James 5.19. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man. What? Avails much. Oh, we don't think our prayers avail anything. Oh, you know what? I'm just, oh, I'm just feeling, I'm terrible this week. I just... Woe is me. So many things against me. All of this is happening. But it is that effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. Even in weakness, even in his blindness, this man cries for mercy. And the Lord Jesus Christ shows mercy. And here we see that the Lord does not despise the prayers of his people. That our prayers avail much. We should not discount the power of prayer in the life of the believer. And so this sympathizing Savior commands him to come. He asks him a question, and then he heals him. What would you have me do that I might receive my sight? And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. 
There's something instructive in verse 42. That immediately he received his sight. There was no delay. That Jesus gave sight to this man. Your faith has saved thee. It is not his faith in the power of Jesus' ability to heal. We see in this man that he had great faith if he cries out for mercy. It is your faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. It is by grace you are saved through faith. And so he is saved by his grace. But his faith saved him and restored him. Even on his way to Jerusalem, even in the final week of his ministry, Jesus willingly and gladly stops to give sight to a blind man, to a man who out of plea of desperation receives the glorious blessing of salvation in Christ. And he immediately received his sight. Oh, what a glorious day that was, friends. See, the Lord Jesus Christ gives sight to this man. But that's not the end of the story. Immediately, he received his sight. He followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise. So here we see the spontaneous praise of the people. Mark chapter 10, verse 52, in that account. Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. He received his sight. And Mark says, follow Jesus in the way. In other words, Jesus is calling men to follow Christ. He's following men to be his disciples. And so he's following Jesus in the way to discipleship. Are you following Jesus in the way to discipleship? Are you learning in the master school of discipleship what it is to live by faith? What it is to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ? So Luke concludes with two responses. He concludes with the response of the blind man who becomes a disciple and glorifies God. This is of those who receive the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blind man sees, becomes a disciple, and follows Christ. And then we see all the people. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Now remember, sometimes people are just ready to stone him. People are just ready to run him out of town. But here, all the people doesn't say some, it says all the people when they saw it gave praise unto God. And here is the, the spontaneous praise of the people. That they break forth in praise when they see the glorious workings of God in the midst of his people. And the question for us to consider is do we give that spontaneous praise when we witness to the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, we talk about amazing grace. Doesn't sound very amazing sometimes. These people broke forth in praise. 
They glorified God. They probably yelled to the rooftops. They are witnesses of his mercy and grace. And this is a wonderful lesson in conclusion to this passage. That we too are to break forth in praise as we see the work of God's grace in the midst of his people. And so the call for us as we look at this passage, I think there's a tendency for us to become familiar with these accounts and stories, but here we see the working of God's grace. And here's a call for us, like this blind man, to look to Jesus for a, for a new and, and contrite heart. The scripture says, a contrite heart thou shalt not despise. And so we need to look unto Jesus for that contrite heart because our hearts are desperately wicked. Every one of us sitting here has a wicked and desperate heart. Look to Jesus for a contrite heart. Look to Jesus for a pure heart. Look to Jesus for a believing heart. Because this blind man went away believing. And when we encounter Christ, We never go away the same. We go forth giving praise unto this God who indeed does wonderful and amazing things. Do you believe this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ still does amazing things in the midst of His people? Never underestimate that. Do not despise the day small beginnings what God did there for that man he will do for us but we don't want to see Jesus becoming just simply a miracle worker okay people are seeing the dead are walking and all of this but we see the glorious salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ in a man who did not understand just like the disciples and yet here's the call for us to follow Jesus in the way and to give glory and praise unto God. Perhaps there's some here this morning who have not tasted of the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, never forget that the Lord Jesus is a sympathizing Savior. That He is the one who came to seek and save the lost. That He is the one who comes to open the eyes of the blind. Perhaps there's some sitting here today that have just given up. I, you know, having all of these issues and problems in life and concerned about your children, concerned about health, concerned about the future and all of these things. And yet we need to stop and realize that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so let us begin today to follow Christ, to glorify Him, to give praise unto God. Because all of these gospel witnesses testify to the saving grace of Christ. And we too today testify to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus Christ. We do give Thee thanks and praise this morning that You are a sympathizing Savior. That You are the one who shows mercy unto those who cry out to Thee. Lord, thank You for the wonderful testimony. Even those testimonies and the other accounts of the gospel that bear witness to the ministry of Christ. We pray that we as your people would receive the word of the Lord Jesus. We, like the blind beggar, would look to you for mercy, that we would receive it. We pray that you would remove the blindness from our eyes, that we might see this Christ and never be the same. Oh, we ask for a refreshing sense of your grace this morning, that as your people, we would give glory and honor unto thee, and to be witnesses to the saving work of Christ. Hear our prayers this morning, and give us faith that we may believe in this Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. What a wonderful conclusion to the sermon this morning as we pray from Psalm 31a as we sing together from God's Word. In Thee, O Lord, I put my trust.